welcome to The Lisa Show, where we take a good look at life. Hello, and welcome to The Lisa Show. If this is your first time listening, I am so glad you're joining our community. I'm your host, Lisa Valentine Clark, and I'm an actress, improviser, author, and widowed mother of five who's just doing the best I can, taking it one day at a time. Now, I want to ask you a question, and you have to answer honestly. How do you feel about your online persona? Or in other words, how do you feel about the way that you come across to people online? Do you feel like it's an accurate representation of yourself? Do you feel like you share too much or maybe too little or maybe not at all and wish that you did? I've watched over the years as the way we use the internet to interact with each other, and it has changed over and over again. Many of the social media platforms that I use every day have only really been around for a few years, and our online life has drastically altered the way I meet new people and build relationships, find jobs, read the news, and almost everything else. If you're like me, it can feel like a never-ending uphill battle to keep up with new tech and ways to interact, not to mention trying to help our kids navigate the online world as they learn and grow. Now, this season on The Lisa Show, I want to dive deep into what it means to have an online persona and how we can take back the reins on the influence that social media is having on our lives. In upcoming episodes, we'll talk about online safety, about media literacy, and about what tech to give your kids and when, about screen addiction, and so much more. But today, I want to unravel a buzzword that's been at the heart of it all since the very beginning, authenticity. What does it mean to be truly authentic online? Is it choosing the right filter on your family photo on Instagram? Is it giving weekly updates about your latest therapy session on Twitter? Is it debating your great uncle's latest political opinion on Facebook? What does it really mean to be our true selves online? Is online authenticity even possible? And if not, how can we represent ourselves online in a way that feels healthy and fulfilling? That's what we're discussing in today's episode. We'll hear from an expert on social media, as well as the Council of Moms on how they find healthy ways to live online. But first, I wanted to go back to the origins of sharing online to find out where the idea of authenticity even comes from and when it got so complicated. I can remember when sharing online became a really significant part of my life in the early 2000s in what I'll call the mommy blogger era. Before this, no one was really worried about how they came across online because it just wasn't a thing. I talked to my longtime friend, Gabrielle Blair, about that time when she started her very successful mommy blog, Design Mom. I remember starting it. It was 2006. I had just had baby number five. And what was happening is I knew by then that if I didn't do something creative, um, that I would get into a deep depression after a baby, like a postpartum, you know, darkness. And um, so I was looking for something I could do because I had all these little kids at home. I had done like freelance design. I had tried different things during my um, afterbirth periods, you know, uh, during that time when I had this little new baby at home. And I was like, I can't even go meet a client. Like that's too hard. Like even just freelance 
projects here and there felt like too much. But I had um, discovered blogs. They were all just kind of essay blogs back when I was uh, working in the office in New York. And when I'd have a break, I really loved these essay blogs. And anyway, I was thinking of what I could do. And I thought, oh, I could do a blog. So it was just that time where everyone was kind of trying a blog. Like now everyone tries a Substack. I remember this time so clearly. I was also a parent and kind of a new parent of little kids. And I was working from home just a little bit, but just really had this need to write. And so finding these other moms who were writing these personal essays about like cleaning the counter with a dirty dish rag and, you know, questioning the the meaning of life really resonated with me. And I found some of my very best friends from this forum as well. It was really kind of an exciting time because we all had our different writing style. We all were commenting on the uh, different questions of just being and of motherhood and our place in the world. And it felt like a real strong community. I remember the day when Gabby was sitting in my living room and she said, hey, I'm thinking about starting a blog uh, that explores design and motherhood. What do you think? And we were all like, oh, that's such a great idea. Yeah, you should totally do it. I'd read it. And she quickly found success and built a large faithful audience by posting these short posts about small design choices she was making throughout her parenting day on her blog, Design Mom. And Gabby soon found herself at the forefront of an international wave of women who would find a voice and a community in blogging. It just felt super validating. And at the same time that I was writing, there were a lot of less design focused and more like long form essay, motherhood focused um, blogs that really talked about some of the good and bad of of being a parent, you know, of what it really meant to like be up all night with a crying kid or, or, you know, the nitty gritty of like approaches to potty training or just like how joyful it is when your child takes their first step or says their first word or I, I don't know. It was just, it just felt like it legitimized motherhood in a way that had never been done or, I mean, I had already had over 10 years of experience of parenting. And I had never experienced anything like it in motherhood where you could really just celebrate motherhood, talk about the good and the bad and get validation from this as if it's work, which we know it's work. It's not always acknowledged as work. In 1999, there were only 23 blogs listed on the internet. By 2006, there were over 50 million. And I can relate to this. I felt like we were all in this sort of together. Now, when I was in college, I learned about the personal essay and it had just like this elevated idea, I think of a journal entry that was really appealing to me. And so during this time, I saw this as a writing exercise for my personal essays, something that I thought, oh, maybe I'll do something with it eventually, but it, it was a great mental exercise for me. And the overall blogging world offered this sort of communal journaling experience, and it let other parents like me feel less isolated in all of our struggles and changes. And over time, bloggers started finding ways to monetize their posts. And even though this is super common right now, and even applauded today, at the time, 
it felt like they were kind of selling out. While these moms were trying to capitalize on the hard work that they were pouring into their blogs, it didn't feel like they were being super authentic anymore. These sponsored posts as they started to pop up on my favorite blogs felt a little bit like a betrayal to that early sort of Wild West blogging, like we were just doing it for its own sake. Now, Gabby was at the forefront of this new complication in blogging. She told me at length about the ways in which she worked to turn her blogging hobby into a sustainable source of income. She was one of the first to ever conduct a comment-to-win giveaway. She worked with sponsors and even taught workshops about how to write tweets. And what I wanted to know from her is this. In the midst of balancing writing what she wants to write, writing what her audience wants to read, posting what sponsors want her to post, and trying to maintain a stable career while raising a family, is it possible to be her authentic self online? Here's what she had to say. I know we're talking about authenticity here, and I truly do strive for authenticity, but there is no such thing online. Like, there's just, I I just don't, I, I don't think it can exist in the way people that aren't making content might think it exists. Like they will, it goes through phases, but like Instagram will be get so beautiful that all of a sudden you'll hear this backlash where they're like, um, and they being like people who are absorbing all this content. So, you know, like my readers and followers, I start getting DMs and not just me, all the, all the Instagrammers start getting DMs like, you're not being authentic. We want to see, it looks too perfect. We want to see the dirty laundry. We want to hear about your marital problems. We want to hear about, you know, like all the behind the scenes and everything looks too perfect. And we, we reject that. And so then like in reaction to that, maybe content creators start sharing more and it's more behind the scenes and it's messier and here's the real deal. And Here's the actual, you know, these are real troubles we're facing. And basically, then you start getting DMs saying, you're oversharing, <laughs> you're doing it like this is too much. And and like this, and, and you're and you didn't ask your kids for permission to share about this, and they might care about this someday. And and you're like, oh, there's no there is no sort of happy medium that I can tell. And some of this is very cyclical. What Gabby says here rings true to me. There might not be a happy medium. In our current digital age, there are some like Gabby who are navigating the balance of sharing while running a business. Others are just trying to use social media in a way that's fulfilling and builds connections. But I think for all of us, there's a constant pressure to be quote unquote authentic, to represent ourselves honestly and clearly online. And this presents a fundamental problem. No matter what you share, messy hair and blurry or perfectly filtered and photoshopped, you're choosing to share it. So it's inherently curated. So is it ever really authentic? I asked sociologist and writer Dr. Anna Akbari what she thinks, and here's what she had to say. You know, I find the word authenticity to be a bit problematic because it's very complex. Um, But as you mentioned, we're really quite 
obsessed with that concept. (laughs) Um, And the challenge in being quote unquote authentic is that it's not a fixed reality. It's a dynamic process, not permanent or static. Um, So when we're presenting ourselves in a virtual space, we're, first of all, we're limited to the 2D instead of our sort of 3D realities. Um, And if you think about the reality of your body and your person in any given context, you're always only presenting a certain percentage of your own reality. We might call them masks, even though masking gets kind of a negative connotation. But if you think about it from perhaps um, as a prism, you are a prism and only one facet of who you are or multiple facets, but not all of them are going to be displayed and communicated in any given context or any given moment. And that's necessary. That's a good thing. We can't show all our cards or all facets of who we are in every single context. It's confusing. Right. Um, and it's inappropriate um, against social norms. So, so to, to ask for being authentic, somehow implies that to be authentic, we need to display all of ourselves all the time. And (laughs) so you're kind of setting yourself up to fail. I love what Dr. Akbari is saying here. We don't share 100% of ourselves in other contexts like work or church or anywhere. So why do we expect ourselves to share 100% of ourselves online? What we're giving people is a 2D peek into a 3D life. The ultimate question then is, are we giving people a 2D version of ourselves that is unsustainable or unhealthy? Like with all of life's most important questions, I brought this up to the Council of Moms, consisting this week of Casey Faulkner and Amy Hopkin. Here's what Casey had to say about how the 2D version of herself that she shares online has changed over time. I think it's all, there's all an element of performativeness now. Having said that, you can be more or less authentic. But like, we've talked about this before too, like even just listening to Spotify, when you know that everyone can see what you're listening to unless you go into private mode, it changes what you pick. It changes what I pick. And I'm sure it changes what like cooler people who care more about what other people think of them. The way Casey talks about listening to Spotify reminds me of something called the observer effect. The observer effect is a principle in physics that says that when you observe something, you will in some way affect the nature of the thing being observed. Or in terms of our current conversation, when we know we're being watched, we behave differently, even if we convince ourselves that we don't. Whether it's picking music, taking pictures, or writing a blog post, the fact that we know someone out there will see it changes the way we think and act in some way. This further complicates the idea that the version of ourselves that people see online is a perfectly authentic representation of our real selves. I understand this on a kind of a dramatic level. When my family was in trauma, you know, online, when my husband got sick, we would give health updates online just to keep everyone informed. And then when he passed away, the expectation was 
that we should keep our friends and family updated on how we were doing. But at this time, my personal grief was overwhelming. And what I write in my personal journal versus online was very, very different, as I think it should be. And I realized really quickly that what I posted online affects me in real life. So how people would greet me or see me or approach me at the grocery store, at church or at work or in the neighborhood. So it had an effect on me in a way that I hadn't considered before. So what I share is real, and it really has happened to me, and it's how I really feel. But I don't share a lot of my personal grief online, which is a huge part of my life. And I do that to protect myself, and I do it in a healthy way. So while what I share is honest, it's what I'm comfortable doing. And I think that everybody has different levels of what they're comfortable sharing on, and it doesn't make them any more or less real. So even when people are as vulnerable and honest as possible, social media is a poor representation of the three-dimensional person that we really are in real life. Amy on the Council of Moms also told me about her experience with quote-unquote authenticity. Like, I had a friend tell me, oh, you're so photogenic. And I said, actually, I'm not. I'm just a really good curator of photos. Mm. So I will have like 15 photos and I will always pick the one that I look the best in, right? I'm not going to put the one that looks the most real or the most candid. I'm going to do the one that makes me look the most beautiful and the happiest. And um, and they're all real photos. I don't really filter them, but I filter them, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, So I'm very conscious of what I'm putting out there. I think that Amy's experience is true for a lot of us. What seems like authenticity and candor is actually a very carefully curated version of our lives that we choose to put in front of our followers. So now what? If authenticity, or at least the idea of authenticity that we've had for years is impossible, then what should be our goal when it comes to life online? As we try to figure out what platforms to use, how much to share or not share, what to teach our kids, how to be safe, what should be our guiding star? Here's what Dr. Akbari thinks. I think we want to be uh, as true to ourselves as possible. And the way I would define true to ourselves is dynamic, in a state of flux, and a whole person. And again, you're not going to reveal everything all the time. But the more you can show that you are a full human that has good things and bad things, (laughs) qualities about yourself. Um, You know, if you're constantly posting airbrushed, perfect photos and you're you're promoting the illusion of having a quote-unquote perfect life, that's really problematic. No one's really going to believe you, and it actually diminishes your credibility and, and believability. So showing that you're a whole person, finding ways to communicate that, keeping a sense of humor, not taking yourself so seriously in those spaces. And that's different than, say, not showing respect or sharing too much information. I love the phrase that Dr. Akbari used, not taking yourself so seriously. 
Some might say that this is my life motto. In order for us to have a life online that feels true to ourselves, we have to keep a sense of humor. And what that takes is a clear set of expectations. As I've researched the idea of authenticity and the discussion around what we should and shouldn't share online, the common thread that seems to help in every circumstance always seemed to be a clear understanding of what you should expect from the specific thing that you're doing online. Everyone has different life situations, different backgrounds and needs and hopes and dreams. So we can't expect social media to do the same thing for all of us. But we can identify what it is we want and expect for our own lives, and then use social media in a way that best reaches for those goals. For example, if you're posting a picture of your family on Instagram, do you know why you're posting it? And what do you expect in return? Is it a certain number of likes? Are you trying to keep your extended family up to date? Or maybe you want your Instagram to be your digital family scrapbook. Whatever your expectations are, if you can take the time to recognize them, you're more likely to find the fulfillment that you're looking for. Now, your expectations online will differ from platform to platform, and they may shift over time. But if you know exactly what you're expecting from your life online, you can make sure that it feels true to who you are and who you want to be to the people you interact with. Amy on the Council of Moms is an example of someone who has clear expectations from her social media use. Here's how she explained it. Well, I don't assume anyone's being authentic. I mean, maybe I'm a cynic and I go in. I don't, I assume everything that's put out there has been filtered in some way. Um, and so I don't have an expectation that it's going to be authentic. I am on there essentially to be entertained. And if it entertains me, if it makes me think, if it um, causes me to pause or whatever, then then I'll continue to read or look or whatever. Um, but I'm, I try, and maybe this is because I'm old school and I'm, you know, older, but I try to get that kind of interaction in real life. I'm not looking for it online. Amy knows what she wants from the internet, and she makes choices about who to follow and what to share in order to get that. She knows that there are types of fulfillment that she just won't get online and doesn't spend time hoping that Instagram will all of a sudden start making her happy in a way that it probably never will. Now, taking control of our expectations online is easier said than done. In later episodes this season, we'll talk about the other specific parts of our online life and figure out how to use them for our benefit. But for now, while we're in the process of learning and growing, here's Gabby's best advice. What I would encourage anyone to do that's feeling overwhelmed is to make a little content, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram or wherever, like, do an actual photo shoot. Do a, a, a outfit of the day or whatever it might be where you really try hard to make like the best post you can. And what you'll learn immediately is that it takes way more time than you think. And that it took that, that cute shot that looks so casual and just like you just snapped it was actually one of 150 photos that you tried, you know, like you just kept trying and trying and trying. And that right outside the frame of the camera, like inches outside, is just chaos and mess. Like you had to like scoot the 
the dirty clothes outside the, you know, mirror range or whatever it might be, um, you know, whatever kind of content you're making, maybe it's food, maybe it's whatever. Like if you take a minute and actually try it and realize this takes so much time, so much effort and is so edited or curated or pretend, meaning like, again, the mess is gone. And we, we took 10,000 takes to get the right lighting and, you know, or whatever it might be, or you, or you pause the shoot because you're like, oh, I got to go put nail polish on because my nails look bad in the shoot or, you know, whatever it is. Um, you quickly realize everything you're seeing online is that it's, it's, it's carefully created. And I find it's a lot less threatening whenever I remember that and go, that that picture, they look so lovely and their outfit's perfect. And it's, and they staged that for our benefit, you know, to create something beautiful to look at, but it's staged. So I can stage something if I want. And, you know, if you're feeling, you're like, you're welcome to stage something yourself. We're all welcome to stage things. Um, but like once you have and you understand how much work it is, it's a lot easier to approach it as like, the same way you would more like a magazine layout where you're like, I'm not threatened by the model in the magazine layout. She's, I know she's being paid and this is what she does professionally. And there are stylists there that are dressing her and you know, all that. Well, it's, you know, works functionally the same way um, on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or wherever you are. So just think of it like, this is someone's job. If, if this looks really good, it's because it's someone's job. I think that I can safely say that most of us are struggling with one facet of online life or another. Like I mentioned at the start of this episode, maybe we feel like we're sharing too much or not enough, or maybe the person we are online doesn't feel true to who we really are. And while I don't think I've solved all of our problems, I do feel confident that a healthy, fulfilling, and uplifting online experience is within reach for all of us. Maybe I'll never be perfectly authentic, and maybe that's a good thing. I can find a way to use the myriad of technology and social media platforms at my disposal in a way that benefits me and my specific life and goals and dreams. Now, at the start of this new season of The Lisa Show, I want you to know that you can too. In upcoming episodes of The Lisa Show, we'll be diving into how you can protect your personal data online, what kinds of rules you should give your kids about tech, how we can recognize false information on social media, how you can build an uplifting online community, and so much more. I hope you'll stick around. The Lisa Show is a production of BYU Radio. It's hosted by Lisa Valentine Clark and produced by Becca Hurley, McKay Menden, and Kaya Dipp, with music and post-production by Josh Fouts and Sam Clausen. Make sure you check out the Lisa Show Book Club on YouTube and your favorite podcasting platforms. This season, each week Lisa is joined by a guest to dive into a chapter of Sherry Turkle's Alone Together. You won't want to miss it.